0: running liftoff we have a liftoff America welcome it's Eric Erickson here across the nation the phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program happy to have you um I, I gotta continue to deal with the breaking news that we have uh dealt with the entirety of the day here when we started the program the, uh, Nash, the the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence released a statement on their Twitter feed. And that statement uh, set off a, a mass array, deservingly so, I think, of alarm bells out there with what it was actually uh, saying. And in fact, if you get my show notes, you would see it. We printed it as, as it uh, was displayed on social media. Today, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence has made available to all members of Congress information concerning a serious national security threat. That's paragraph one. And that paragraph indicates that it was the committee itself, not just the chairman, who decided to release the information. And then the second paragraph is Mike Turner, the chairman, Republican from Ohio, says, I am requesting that President Biden declassify all information related to this threat so that Congress, the administration, and our allies can openly discuss the actions necessary to respond to this threat. Now, as the day has gone on, more and more has come out uh, that this is not a today threat, that this is a long-term threat, that this is a national security threat, that um, it, m- reporters from Fox News, the Associated Press, from CNN, they're all saying it's about the Russians and that it is not a, an, an imminent attack on the United States, despite the statement saying is concerning a serious national security threat and that there needs to be a response. If this is about a long term military capability of the Russians, there's lots of lots of anxious speculation in the press about what exactly it is. I think it's irresponsible for the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence to have released a statement like this because this hasn't been done. This is a novel situation. And it, of course, at a time of heightened tensions, when you have the FBI testifying publicly before Congress saying there are red lights going off around the country over the potential for uh, sleeper cells and terrorists to have crossed the border. You have the situation in Ukraine. You have the China-Taiwan situation. You have the, the Israel situation. You have Iran. It was highly irresponsible of Mike Turner and that committee to release a statement like that if it wasn't about an immediate threat. It was highly irresponsible. It had to be covered The way it was released, that there's a serious national security threat had to be covered that way, should be covered that way. But the Russians developing a military capability is not a serious national security threat where you need to push out on Twitter saying, hey, Mr. President, you need to declassify this. There's a serious threat and we need to respond. So we need answers as to what it was. Um, There is lots of social media speculation about what it is. Goes in different directions from aliens to border crossings to the Russians to the hypersonic missiles to to other things. Uh, But no one's actually saying. There's going to be a briefing in Congress of the Gang of Eight tomorrow. The Gang of Eight is the congressional leadership, the House and Senate leadership. The Speaker... The House Majority Leader and Whip, the House Minority Leader and Whip, the Speaker or the President Pro Tem of the Senate, uh, the, uh, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Minority Leader. The other thing of why it's irresponsible if it's not an immediate threat to national security to release it this way is because the Senate has passed funding for Ukraine, a bipartisan funding bill. By saying this is some sort of, uh, again, uh, their words, a, a serious national security threat, and we need to be able to openly discuss the actions necessary to respond to this threat, it makes it cynically look more like they're trying to get Congress to either reauthorize FISA or get the House pressure built to pass the Ukrainian border funding. The longer this draws out, and it's not an immediate threat to national security, it looks like it's a cynical ploy to get members of Congress to fund something. And that undermines confidence. Enough confidence has already been undermined by so many people that it's just bad form to do something like this. It really is bad form to release something like this in that capacity. And at the end of the day, it it turns out to be some long-term foreign policy, national security issue, that's not immediate. Why do something like this? Because you know what the reaction is going to be. You know how people are going to respond to something like this. It's never been done before with a statement like this of this nature from this particular committee in the House. It's just bad form. And again, I'll keep you up to date on what it is, um, I, I'm, I, I, but I'm not going to dive into – I think it would be irresponsible for me to dive into all the the rampant, insane speculation on social media. Uh, reporters are now developing the story as members of Congress are beginning to leak, and, and the prevailing consensus is now there is not some uh, immediate massive threat to the United States, but it is, uh, involves the Russians, and they've done something, and we don't know what it is. It does not, however, appear to be about the hypersonic missiles that's already been in the media. And I do think if it was the hypersonic missiles that are almost impossible to shoot down that they have now begun deploying, that there would have been a different response or there would have been a link to the reporting that's been out there on that. So uh, God only knows what it is. So I'll move on to other things. And I want to play you uh, John Kirby. I have to say, uh, obviously, I disagree with John Kirby and and with the Democrats and and all of his Joe Biden rarine, but I actually am kind of impressed with John Kirby, the um, national security spokesman who's now gotten a promotion at the White House. They're not saying that it is to undermine Kareem Jean-Pierre, the idiot White House press secretary, but his promotion, John Kirby's promotion to the White House is whether they want to admit it or not to undermine Kareem Jean-Pierre, the idiot White House press secretary, who is a real idiot who says all sorts of absurd, dumb things on a regular basis. But this is Kirby engaged in the White House press uh, room the other day. As I said, we have seen them take actions, sometimes actions that that even I'm not sure our own military would take uh, in terms of informing civilian populations ahead of operations where to go, where not to go. Um, They have taken steps. Now, obviously, um, those steps, uh, while noteworthy, haven't been enough to reduce the civilian casualties, which is why the president spoke so uh, forthrightly about it yesterday and why we're going to continue to do everything we can to press the Israelis to be more careful. That was Kirby talking about uh, what Israel is doing in Rafah and uh, the Gaza Strip. The Israelis, I don't know if you guys know this, but before Israel launches a missile attack in an area in Gaza, that area, the people who live there get a text message on their phone saying, Incoming attack, evacuate. Can you imagine if the American military did that? Uh, Hey, guys, here's where we're going to attack in the next 30 minutes. I mean, look at what happened. Look look at what happened when when Joe Biden just did this. The other week, Joe Biden literally says, hey, uh, Iran, our bombers have left London. You know how long it takes them to get there. We're going to bomb key areas of Iraq and Syria. And guess what happened? The Iranians had plenty of time to pack their people and weapons up and get out of the way. So not a single Iranian died. In the attacks by the United States to target Iran, not a single one of them died because we gave them such a long heads-up. Israel gives the Gaza Strip a heads-up when it's going to attack because Israel is mostly destroying infrastructure. They're destroying headquarters. They're destroying operational capabilities. They're destroying the tunnels. And so they tell the people. So they're headed down to the southern end of the Gaza Strip, It's a long strip with Egypt to the south. They're going into an area where a lot of the people from the northern Gaza Strip fled for their protection. They're now headed there, and Israel is saying, hey, we're coming into this area. We're going to attack. You need to leave this area. And to Kirby's point, and I think it's well noted, Israel is going above and beyond what what many governments, including ours, and many militaries, including ours, would do. They're trying to save lives. And, you know, the result is that in war, in uh, urban areas, you tend to, according to military historians, have a five-to-one civilian-to-soldier death rate. So five civilians die for every one soldier. In Israel, it's two-to-one. It's a lot, two-to-one. But it's far less than is typical because of what they're doing. And instead of giving them credit... Instead of giving the Israelis credit for minimizing the civilian casualties, they're being condemned. Instead of giving them credit, they're being vilified. Instead of giving them credit, they're being attacked as warmongers. The people who are attacking them aren't demanding that Hamas stand down. They're not demanding a Hamas ceasefire. You know, a a couple of uh, progressive American politicians from the House, what's his name, the the guy who pulled the fire alarm, Jamal, what's his name, Bowen or whatever, Bowman, he attacked Israel for rescuing Israeli hostages. And you know what, Hamas actually released an entry statement. Hamas's statement was that um, the hostages Israel was able to rescue were people who had been housed with civilians in Gaza, not with Hamas, which is another recognition of the fact that Hamas actually is placing Israeli hostages with civilians in Gaza. The civilians in Gaza are working with Hamas. I mean, Hamas said this. This is not Israel saying this. This is Hamas saying that uh, most of the hostages are held by Hamas. These have to be held by residents of Gaza. That's Hamas saying the citizens in Gaza are helping Hamas. And Israel was able to rescue some of his hostages, and they got attacked for rescuing their hostages. What we're seeing is that the progressive left hates Israel so much they can't give them any credit. And what you're seeing with a guy like John Stewart and some of his stand-up is he's talking about the, the, the horrible things Israel has done, even though he supports Israel's right of self-defense, because he himself is both sides in that, uh, afraid of the blowback from the left if he were to defend Israel's right of self-defense aggressively. We should not hesitate to defend Israel's right to defend itself. It's not the bad guy here. Hamas started this. And the progressive left doesn't believe Hamas has the power in the intersectional spectrum to declare a ceasefire, but if Hamas released the hostages tomorrow, this would all go away. The fact that the left would rather attack Israel for rescuing hostages than demand that Hamas let the hostages go gives away the game. It fundamentally gives away the game. That Hamas is dishonest and evil, and so many of the people who are supporting Hamas are likewise dishonest and evil. Every time you hear someone attack Israel, and not say Hamas started it and Hamas could end it, that is a person on the side of evil, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Hamas could end this tomorrow, release the hostages, and disarm. They could do that, and there would be peace in the Middle East. But not only will they not do it, their supporters don't want them to, which raises more troubling questions about even the supporters of Hamas in the United States and what do they actually want. I suspect we know what they want but I don't speak German to be able to tell you when the world seems crazy. He'll keep you sane. It's the Eric Erickson show. Want to be on the show? Come on, be on the show. Call Eric now at 877-973-7425. Hello there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the full number, 877-973-7425. So I, I just as a reminder. <laughs> I, I I gotta I gotta advise you guys, um, those of you who are on social media. Be really careful about some of the accounts that you follow um, because I, I have listeners, some of whom email me, some of whom uh, are texting me, who have my cell phone number, and they're sending me links to various sites. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? This is – this is oh, my gosh. This must be really bad. Um, uh, none of these accounts, some of them are actually parody accounts. Uh Freaking people out. Um, some of these accounts are just running with idle gossip. Uh, the as a rule of thumb, if you're going to to follow people on social media who are keeping up with uh, the events of the day and all the breaking news, follow actual reporters for actual news organizations who actually use their real names and actually put up their actual headshots. Uh, the random account of, uh, on social media that is none of those things uh, may be accurate, but you just don't know. Um, and, and, and go slow with that because the situation uh, is developing. Uh, Senators Mark Warder and Marco Rubio, the chair and vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, have just released this statement uh, in the last, uh, well, 10 minutes ago during commercial break. The Senate Intelligence Committee has the intelligence in question and has been rigorously tracking the issue from the start. We continue to take this matter seriously and are discussing an appropriate response with the administration. In the meantime... We must be cautious about potentially disclosing sources and methods that may be key to preserving a range of options for U.S. action. Again, this is from the Senate Intelligence Committee. The Senate Intelligence Committee has the intelligence in question, has been rigorously tracking the issue from the start. We continue to take the matter seriously or discussing an appropriate response With the administration, in the meantime, we must be cautious about potentially disclosing sources and methods that may be key to preserving a range of options. The Senate, not as freaked out as the House. Now, if you worked with Americans for prosperity, you would actually not be so freaked out about the future of the country because you would see hardworking conservatives going door to door in this country, building a common sense conservative foundation for the future. They are so committed to common sense, constitutional conservatism, for free markets and free people, for supporting things like school choice, for supporting uh, broad energy policy in the United States – They're so good at it. They want you on their team. They'll teach you how to go door-to-door. They'll teach you how to be an effective advocate for freedom. They'll teach you how to go to your local government, how to go to your state government to make the case to your state legislators for for common-sense conservative solutions, and they'll fight the left. They'll fight the Biden administration, and they'll get you in on that fight to make a difference. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash eric, americansforprosperity.org slash eric. Go check out Americans for Prosperity today. Join them. Over 4 million people have. They can turn you into an effective conservative activist around the country. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go check them out today. Become a part of a big movement of conservatives in the country. He's got the courage to tell you the truth, even when it isn't popular. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 973 7425. Should you wish to be on the program, delighted to have you with me. Want to go to the phones here. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you doing? Great. Hey, I just uh, want to thank you for uh, you know, your show. I, I appreciate your show and you standing up for for and values. Thank you. Mike. Yeah, my question. I've always been confused. I'm in my 50s now, as far as uh, the way presidents or DAs and you know either enforce the law or not enforce the law. And I don't understand how that, how they were able to get away with that. I mean, if it's something as far as you know enough evidence to prosecute somebody, that's one thing. But then not even trying to prosecute or not following the laws like the president, you know, not securing the border when that's part of his job. I don't understand how they can get away
1: with it. Okay,
0: Um, this is an evolutionary shift in the uh, civic psychology of the United States. Uh, There was a time, going back to the founding of the republic, that even George Washington's position was, I may not agree with this law Congress passed but they passed it, I must execute and enforce it as the president. And over time, uh, the partisans on both sides would say, well, Congress may pass this law, but I'm going to drag my feet on it. And now we've got to the point of, well, Congress can pass it, but they can't enforce it, and I don't have to. Or are in prosecution. There actually is a thing called, and let's, let's, let's go to the heart of the matter here. This is prosecuting or not Joe Biden for uh, his mishandling of classified documents. There is a legitimate doctrine on prosecutorial discretion, and it is a very common thing among Republican prosecutors and Democratic prosecutors to say that I think this person broke the law, but I am convinced a jury won't go along with it, therefore I'm not going to prosecute it. This happens, and while the high-profile cases are political, there are a massive number of of non-political cases you don't hear about because they don't make national news. In fact, there was one near me where a father uh brutally assaulted his daughter's rapist. He waited for the uh the rapist was in court uh, at an arraignment and the father was in the courthouse and when the guy came past, uh the father beat the holy hell out of the guy. And the prosecutor decided uh, that there was no way a jury was going to find that man uh, guilty and chose not to prosecute him. There's another very famous one uh, in uh, – if, if I remember – now, I, I can't remember all the details of this, one, but was a pretty famous one. It was back in Baton Rouge, Louisiana uh, near my hometown, and it was a man who had uh, brutally assaulted a girl, and the father waited by the payphone. There's actually video capture of it. The father waited by the payphone. Uh, and uh, acted like he was on the phone, and when the man walked past the phone, the dad turned around, shot, and killed him. And the prosecutors did prosecute, but they were convinced they could only go for voluntary manslaughter. And, in fact, the jury found the dad guilty of voluntary manslaughter, not murder, uh, and they did—they gave him probation. They-, they didn't give him jail time. Uh, these things do happen. You may not hear about them, um, but, you know, let's just take the partisan nature of Robert Herr for a minute because the Democrats are playing that up. He is a Republican. And uh, he had been a Trump nominee at some point. I don't think his partisanship had anything to do with this. And for the Democrats who are saying it's partisan, the man literally chose not to prosecute the president of the United States. And his finding for not prosecuting the president of the United States was uh, you can't prosecute the president while he is president of the United States for this. So if Joe Biden... Wins a second term, the prosecution's put off for at least five years. If he doesn't win a second term, it's still going to take two years to get it to trial. And by then, you're going to have a very elderly man before a jury whose memory is already frail, whose memory is more frail by the time it gets to trial. So he's probably not going to be convicted. And, and that I think everybody misses this aspect of what Robert her found and, and his prosecutorial discretion. If Joe Biden wins a second term, you cannot prosecute a sitting president for that. That's kind of the, this is, I mean, people are kind of dancing around this with Donald Trump, that if he becomes president in the middle of a prosecution, the prosecution is going get, to get paused. The statute of limitations won't expire. The statute of limitations would freeze as well. And... When you advance that against Joe Biden, who is already in his mid-80s, he's going to be closer to his 90s by the time you were to get to trial, whether or not he has a second term or not because of the nature of the beast of of the prosecution, yet it makes total sense for the prosecutor to say, we believe he committed a crime, but we don't believe we can get a jury to convict him, so we're not going to waste taxpayer dollars. You you should be thankful that the prosecutor is not going to waste the taxpayer dollars. But it, it's a damning indictment on Biden because he's saying that we, we don't think a jury would go along with it. They'd see a a, a doddering old fool who's senile, essentially. The, you know, the, the outrage of this from the Democrats is actually very funny because he's got him over a barrel. You could attack him as a Republican, and the response is, but he's not prosecuting Joe Biden. And if you want to make the case that he shouldn't have said what he said, well, then um, are you saying that Joe Biden should be prosecuted? I personally think what Robert Heard did is is brilliant, and I don't think it was political at all, regardless of his personal partisan affiliations or not. I mean he doesn't think that it's worth taxpayer money to try to prosecute a man he doesn't think a jury would find guilty. But it put the Democrats over a clear barrel here because – If they attack him as a partisan, well, then why didn't he prosecute him? And if they just say, well, it was gratuitous, like they're saying, oh, this rhetoric is gratuitous. Well, what it is is he is saying that he can't prosecute Joe Biden because he doesn't think a jury will find him guilty because he's a doddering old senile fool. Now, the the notable part here for me as well is, like I said this morning, if, if you read my morning piece, if you subscribe to the email, the Republicans from here on out repeat after me. You need to utter one phrase repeatedly. Release the transcript. Release the transcript. Uh, and uh, there is a. I saw a story. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Uh, that the the Democrats aren't sure how to respond now, and they're trying to find a way to not release the transcript while making it sound like they may release the transcript. It is a funny. Boxed in position that the Democrats are going to have to deal with. They really do not want to release the transcript of uh, Joe Biden and the conversations. Now, let me let me let me uh, just explain to you what I explained yesterday, because because some of you may not have been here when I talked about it yesterday. When you're in a deposition, a deposition is you're sworn in, and the opposing legal side gets to ask you a bunch of questions. And they tend to begin with, state your name, state your birthday, state your address, all that sort of information, the basic pro forma stuff. And then they they start getting into questions. They can ask you kind of broad questions. Uh, Everything has to be related to the case. If, If they ask you questions that aren't related to the case, you can object. You can call a judge who will mediate it there on the phone while you're in the deposition. But what's important here is they get to ask you a broader array of questions than would be allowed in trial. And the reason they get to ask you a broader array of questions, including questions that amount to hearsay, that is, uh, tell me what so-and-so said to you, that's hearsay. You can't do that in court with some exceptions. But in a deposition, you can generally do that because then you can go do a deposition of that person and and did you say this, that, or the other, things like that. So you get a broad array of questions. And in that deposition, not only is it typically recorded, but there's a, a transcriptionist. Who is the stenographer if you've ever seen in quarter or whatnot there, there's a, typically a lady and she's got a very small machine and it looks like a typewriter but it's tiny and it, it's it, there's training that goes through stenography for shorthand and for these machines and, and essentially she's capturing vowel sounds to be able to piece words together and uses a computer to assist in the transcription so that it can be done in real time. And one of the things that that stenographer does is she captures everything, including the uhs and the ums and the ahs and the uhs and the os. It's all there in the transcript. So, for example, if I were to say, I, uh... Can't uh, recall the um uh the date um all of that's in the transcript. All of that is in the transcript. Every word you say is in the transcript. It is not cleaned up to break those apart. So if you, the American public, are reading the transcript. You're going to read, I, uh, can't, uh, um, uh, think, uh, um, oh, ah, uh. All of that's going to be there, and you're going to read it all. The stenographer isn't editing. Now, what the media would do hilariously, I think, if they released a transcript, is the media would try to edit that out. And you and I both know Republicans would eat them alive and expose how they were doctoring the transcript, to clean up the transcript, to make it more coherent. But the incoherence is the point. That's why Republicans just need to be constantly just beating the drum of release the transcript. Release the transcript. They've got the Democrats over a barrel on this. They totally have the Democrats over a barrel on this. The Democrats can't release the transcript without redacting portions of it, if they try to re- redact the ums and the uhs, they're going to get exposed. And essentially it's going to be the special prosecutor who is the one who gets to decide what gets to be redacted. Because remember, a lot of the the conversation was about classified documents that have not been declassified. So the context of those documents, that's all going to be redacted. But you can't redact the ums, the ahs, the uhs, the os, the oops. You, you can't redact those sorts of things. That's why, I mean, it really is, if Republicans just constantly say, release the transcript, whenever this comes up. Now, of course, you know, today with what Mike Turner has done and the intelligence that's come from the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, the the conversation very quickly in this country is going to move on to this. Republicans would be very wise to pull back to Joe Biden and classified documents and even make it about this, that we can't trust the Democrats to handle classified documents. Look at what Joe Biden's done. And if you don't think otherwise, release the transcript so we can see. It, it's just, it, this is a marvelous position for Republicans to be in, but I have no doubt Republicans have the capacity to screw it all up. Come on, you, you all know they do. They really do. And don't be surprised when Republicans do wind up screwing it all up. You know, you can screw things up, too, and, and, like, you can partner with the wrong bank that doesn't share your values, and one day you find out they're out to get you – they're eating you alive on fees, like monthly fees. Uh, some banks, more and more, they're charging you monthly fees. Old Glory Bank does not, and you can get an account with them. They don't charge fees for checking or savings accounts, and they're they're a fully functional bank, so they've got great online bill pay. They've got a great online website. I use them. They, they actually are my bank. I've got a checking and a savings account with them, and I get a great interest rate on the savings account. You can do loans with them, VA, FHA, conventional. You can do all those loans with them, uh, and they're just a fantastic bank, and they're, you're not going to get debanked because they share your values. They were started by conservatives like John Rich, Larry Elder, Ben Carson, uh, conservative banking experts. Who put this bank together? They bought a bank in Oklahoma. They rebranded it as Old Glory Bank. They've been spreading it nationwide. It is a fully functional bank. One of the really cool things that I love about them so, my kids, like for babysitting and, and for gifts from my parents and stuff, they get cash. They get a $20 bill or so. You can take that money to there are 85,000 retail locations around the country you can go to. They got a great interactive map. Turns out the CVS by my house is one of them. So I can go, I can say, I got to deposit this money in Old Glory Bank. And they will literally deposit, like I give them the cash, and it gets uh, credited to my account. It's fantastic. It, it really, it, it's such a great, convenient idea. Uh, you don't have to go to a physical banking location. You go to all these retail locations around the country. they got a great map shows you where all of them are. Um, great for your kids because they're not going to have fees every month on their checking and savings accounts. Great for you, too. You can get set up in less than eight minutes. Oldglorybank.com. Oldglorybank.com. That's where you go, fill out the application. You can start your bank. It took me less than eight minutes to. I did it months ago right after they started. And, by the way, their debit card is cool. It's a beautiful debit card. Uh, I know that's funny to say, but, you know, some debit cards, they're just garbage looking. Theirs is great. I love Old Glory Bank. You will, too. Oldglorybank.com. Terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. He's got the courage to tell you the actual truth, even when it isn't popular. It's The Eric Erickson Show. Want Eric's Weekly Recipes? They're super delicious. Text RECIPE to 33777 now. I would like to wish you all a happy Valentine's Day. So I got up this morning and I was in a bad mood because there was no milk in the house. I like to put a little bit of milk in my coffee. My wife has an asbestos mouth. She can, like, drink the hottest stuff. I can't. I need a little milk just to cool down the coffee enough. Don't wanna leave it out till it gets too cold. Just add a little milk and the coffee's fine. So wait, I'm from Louisiana. We we grew up with milk in our coffee, but nonetheless. So I, I didn't I walked out of the house, didn't even wish my wife happy Valentine's Day. Ordered her flowers the other day, though. They should hopefully show up by the end of the day. So happy Valentine's Day to you. We're not gonna go out to dinner tonight because every insane person goes out to dinner on Valentine's Day and the restaurants are all crowded. Uh, So there's no reason to go deal with the crowds. But I just got to point out that, um, well, St. Valentine, you know, you're celebrating Valentine's Day with chocolates and roses and flowers and all of that. And uh, St. Valentine was tortured, abused and decapitated. So uh, I just, yes, um, he was martyred. He was martyred. There are some who say he was fed to the lions in the Circus Maximus or in the Colosseum. There are others who say he was tortured and beheaded. Um, uh, the legend is that uh, Valentine defied the order of Emperor Claudius uh, and performed Christian weddings for couples, allowing the husbands involved to escape constriction and conscription into the pagan army. And the result is that to punish him, they rounded him up and they tortured him and crucified him and beheaded him and did all sorts of terrible things to the man who you're going to celebrate his torture and decapitation by buying chocolate and roses that are going to die. I admit, I bought my wife flowers. And those flowers are going to die, unlike my love for her. I sometimes wonder, uh, like I resent... The, I, I I know I shouldn't, but I can't be alone. I resent the Hallmark holidays. Like, I understand having Mother's Day and Father's Day is good, but Grandparents' Day, really, every day is Grandparents' Day. Uh, bosses' Day, Secretary's Day, uh, National this, that, and the other day. No, I I, I mean, it, this. so many of these things are designed for you to buy cars. And I'll tell you what I really resent like hell, honestly it's your it's the day after christmas and the valentine's cards are already in the store come on i mean this afternoon you're going to, go to the grocery store and you know what's going to be there saint patrick's day cards and easter cards why because it's what they do these these hallmark valentine yes it's it's hallmark it, it is a scam for you to be able to buy cards all of these things these hallmark holidays they're designed to guilt you into buying cards. I bought my wife flowers. You know what? Those flowers are going to be dead in less than a week. I bought expensive flowers as well. I thought maybe I should just buy her a meal or something, or but nope. I'll cook supper tonight of some kind because, you know, the restaurants are going to be full. If you want to celebrate Valentine's I and you know when you're dating, of course, Valentine's Day is a big deal. you got to go get the cards. That's the other thing, too, like the cards. Let's just be honest here. What are you going to do with the cards? You're going to read the card, and at some point it's going to be thrown in the trash. And then your significant other is going to find that you threw the card away, that they themselves threw their card away, but there's going to be something they're going to hold over your head. I can't believe you threw my Valentine's card. I Do you know how much thought I put into that? I, I didn't buy my wife a Valentine's Day card. I bought her flowers. And then I called her later in the day and told her, Happy Valentine's Day. And I'll cook supper tonight. But these are just these Hallmark holidays. And I just, I want you to know, you're celebrating a guy who was beaten and clubbed to death and then beheaded. We should at least keep some perspective on who St. Valentine was. He loved getting Christians married so much, they beat him up and chopped off his head. So happy Valentine's Day to all of you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time,